Fantastic. Well, good morning and welcome again. My name is Riley. I'm the pastor of the church, and it's my joy to bring you God's Word this morning. Uh, We are second week into a four-week series called Discovering Lament, uh, a topic that I hadn't really understood until I started reading this great book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, which you can buy in our little bookshop at the back there if you would like. I believe it's a really helpful, useful book for us. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 10 this morning. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm 10. If you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to read along, um, put your hand up and Andrew will get you a Bible or someone at the back will get you a Bible so you can read along. If you're using a digital one, you're wondering what version, we use the English Standard Version, ESV for short. Wonderful. It's a bit weird not having the five-minute break, isn't it? But we're giving it a try, see how it goes. You can put your complaint form in (laughs) on the imaginary complaint part of the website. (laughs) Psalm chapter 10. This is God's word. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His way prospers at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Let us pray. Our God and Father, May you bless the reading, the preaching, and the applying 
of your holy word this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, I know you're not mean, but it feels like you are today. These were the words of the wife of the man who wrote that book that I showed you before, Mark Vagroyup's wife. They were sitting in the car park at the doctor's surgery after an ultrasound appointment for a pregnancy. Two years prior, their daughter Sylvia had died in the womb at 39 weeks. In between this, they'd had multiple miscarriages. And now they were many weeks into a pregnancy, further than they'd been with the miscarriages. And they had begun to feel hope, guarded hope. Mark says this, Our doctor ordered an ultrasound to confirm the new life in Sarah's womb. We couldn't wait to see the flutter of a little heartbeat. The appointment was to be redemptive. I hoped it would bring closure. But it only brought more pain. The ultrasound room was too familiar. The same room where we learned of Sylvia's death. As the doctor began to move the wand over Sarah's womb, a shadow of concern crossed his face. Sarah watched carefully and noticed. She raised her head. What is it? she asked. I thought she was overreacting. I tried to reassure her. What is it? she asked. But the look on the doctor's face was now clear to me as well. Something was wrong. I don't know how to tell you this, our doctor said but there's no baby in your womb. Your hormone levels are good. There's a home, but there's no baby. It's called a blighted ovum, a false positive pregnancy. Sarah's head fell back. She sobbed again. We walked numb to the car. I closed the door. We needed to pray. But what do you say in this moment? While I didn't understand it at the time, Sarah's prayer is what you'll find as you study lament. Her prayer was a complaint, an honest and blunt conversation with God. And in order for you to learn how to experience the mercy of lament, you need to learn to complain. Those words sound somewhat uncomfortable. God, I know you're not mean, but it feels like you are today. What are you allowed to say in the face of grief and suffering when life seems overwhelming, when life has turned heavy, when God's providence seems only dark and cruel to you? Well, today we take the second step along the path of lament that we're looking at in these four weeks. A lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A lament is a, is a structured prayer that God has given us so that we can, in our sorrow, again experience joy. And there's four steps that we've begin, begun to look at last week. First, the first step we saw is to turn to turn to God in prayer and keep praying. In some ways, that may be the hardest step, 
to actually turn to him, not just stay inward, not just complain, not just go silent, but to turn to him. And the second step today is to bring your complaints. To bring your complaints. We're going to see in the next couple of weeks that we then ask boldly and choose to trust. But immediately as we look at step two, I think we have somewhat of an awkward problem. Complaint just doesn't seem right, does it? We know, if you know your Bible, that the Israelites, when they complained in the wilderness, God punished them. Read Numbers 11. We know that Paul said to the Philippians, do everything without complaining or arguing. And then in chapter 4, he followed up and said, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. But as we learned last week, one-third to one-half of all the Psalms are lament Psalms that include these cries of complaint. And these complaints are not tame, they're not muted, they're not PR'd, they're not pc They're real and raw and honest. Psalm 55, 17 says, Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. So, What are we meant to do with all of that? Depending on your background, you may have very different experiences with this kind of language. And Brother Arby, who prayed earlier, one of our deacons, gave this reflection to me. He said, The culture I grew up in the Philippines is completely against complaining. Even a whiff of complaint is greatly frowned upon. Shutting up instead of raising a complaint is encouraged. And subconsciously, in our relationship with God, we may automatically equate complaining is sinning. And he says, I personally had to grow in this to better understand the difference between, and I love how he put this, complaining to God, which he welcomes, versus complaining against God, which he abhors. So as we study, there must be some God-ordained way, some spirit-led way to do biblical godly complaint. And we're going to learn from these Psalms how to do that not just as individuals, but even as communities. These psalms were given not just to be read and studied, but to be sung by whole communities of God's people. So there is a way not only to praise, but to complain in the psalms. Now, of course, there is a caveat. Self-righteous, self-pitying anger towards God is never allowed. That is never right, and that is not Godly complaint. That's not what we're talking about. So how do we complain rightly? Well, we're going to be looking at that today in the second step along this journey of lament to bring your complaints. To do that, we're going to study Psalm 10 and a few other places. And we're going to look at three points to help us along the journey. Bring your complaints, bring your questions, and bring them rightly. But I have one main hope for us. One desire, that we would actually begin to bring our complaints to God, humbly, honestly, and rightly. 
So let's have a look at point number one as we figure out how to do this. Point number one, bring your questions. Look at verse one. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? This psalm begins with a cry of complaint to God. We don't know the exact situation. We know there's an injustice taking place. We know that he's upset that God is doing nothing about it. And so he cries out in complaint. I wonder if you've had moments like this personally. When you just want to cry out, why? Where are you? What are you doing? Perhaps you may have had moments like this communally as well in a group that you've been in or a family situation where as a group you're grasping for language. How do we process this? What do we say? could be personal circumstances, all the events of the world. On Thursday night um, in our life group, the Springs Life Group, we we tried to pray lament prayers together and made a start. And my wife, Maddie, she brought a prayer of lament over human trafficking. She cried out, why does this happen and still happen, O Lord? And she said that just crying out that prayer helped her She thinks about this so much. She's moved by it, but it gave her something to do with it, to to give it to God, to to bring it to Him, and it actually brought her immediate comfort and release. And bringing our complaint as a question to God is designed to do just that. It it recognizes the, the realities that God is sovereign and powerful and able to intervene, and yet He hasn't. And so we pray prayers of complaint that recognize that gap. And that gap is the first question that the psalmist asks. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Now, firstly, as we think about complaint, notice he calls him Lord. Um, and, and it's all caps in your Bible there. That's God's covenantal name. That's God's name he gives to his people Israel. So when the psalmist uses that name, he's saying, I'm in relationship with you. You've made promises to us. You are my God. I have no other. You are Yahweh. You are eternal. You're the I am. But it feels like you're standing far off. You're remote. You're inactive. You're not stepping in. feels unjust to him. You know, uh, if you've ever been at a playground where all kids are playing and sometimes you're watching your own kid and you see this annoying little child or just, you know, normal little child, maybe I'll be less negative, and they, they come along and they push your own child over. Well, they throw, I was at NBC the other week and at the, the bowling club and some kid just came and just threw sand in Zoe's face. And, and the dad was right there. And I'm standing there going like, Do something. Like, what are you doing? Step in. You're right there. Parrot your child. I think that's sort of what the psalmist is is saying to the Lord. You're right there. You're able. Yet you stand far off. 
and they're getting pushed over. They're getting sand in their face. These terrible things are happening. What's going on? This feeling of absence and distance does not need to be denied. Instead, it can be cried out. If you feel the absence of the Lord in your time of trouble, don't deny it and suppress it. The psalmist teaches us, cry it out to him. Secondly, if you look at the second question there, he asks this, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? This is even more intense, isn't it? First one, you're far off, but it's a bit more passive. It's like you're far off and not acting. But now it seems like God is actively making himself inconspicuous. You are purposely not intervening. Passive distance, active hiding. In their time of trouble, in his time of trouble, God is hiding himself is what it feels like. This language should make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. I believe that this is language that if it wasn't there in the Bible, I don't know if I'd have the kind of guts to say it to God. There's other Psalms where he tells, there's multiple Psalms actually, where the psalmist says, awake. That's a cry of complaint. Awake. He's talking to God. Wake up. Could you imagine yourself crying out to Yahweh? Wake up. It's not like, raising a teenager from bed and you're late, wake up. It's a cry of, why are you hiding yourself? Why are you asleep? This language seems harsh. It seems too accusatory. But here it is. His problem is not just with the pain, but he's wrestling with God himself. Some of you may be wondering, well, what am I allowed to or supposed to lament over? Have I ever experienced something big enough that requires these kind of prayers? Does it have to be the most intense sufferings? You know, we live in Australia. We've got it much better than a lot of the world. Are we allowed to lament like this? Or is that just being a bit weak and a bit immature and a bit whiny? Well, Mark Roygip says, Lament speaks into all the sorrows of life, no matter how small or big. We can lament, as we said last week, over the divorce of our parents, the sickness of our friend, the death of a loved one, emotional, relational hurts and pains. We can lament communal problems too, like human trafficking, abortion, racism, war, poverty. We can lament over our own sins and mistakes like David does in Psalm 51. We can lament over the really big or the seemingly small. But if it causes you sorrow, if it's because life is not as it should be, as God would desire it, then you can lament it. In fact, we should lament it. Lament is not just a crutch for the weak. It's a holy prayer for the mature and the righteous. Why is that? Well, because our questions and complaints of lament actually honor and glorify God because it says things are not right. They are not how you want them to be. 
We're crying out that death is an enemy, sickness is a curse, sin is abhorrent, and it's not right. Lament says that we love righteousness, we love peace, we love others, and we love God's law. And lament honors God because we say, you are big enough, strong enough, and caring enough to handle them, so I bring it to you. Alastair Groves, in his wonderful book, Untangling Emotions, which I highly recommend, says this. When we love passionately or lose something or someone, our grief is a testament to God's good work in creating the person or treasure we've lost. To stay present with the pain of loss, as laments do, is, in a strange way, to acknowledge God's goodness in giving the gift in the first place. The biblical pattern is not to shrug losses off and move on. Rather, we are to wail in honest heartache at the wrongness of death and destruction of God's beautiful creatures, especially his fragile children. If you truly love others as Christ calls you to, then you will also truly lament when evil of various kinds befalls them. So you can lament over a vast range of circumstances in life. Sin, sickness, suffering, death. And your lament actually honors God. Your, your questions to him bring him glory. Jesus himself said in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So, Firstly, we are to bring our questions, to bring our complaints to God honestly, humbly, and hopefully. Secondly, we are to bring our frustrations. Bring your questions, bring your frustrations. There's lots of overlap from last week. There'll be lots of overlap in each week. But point number two, bring your frustrations. Not only does complaint involve bringing the hard questions to God, it also includes bringing our frustrations to Him as well. We're shown in this psalm and many others that it's good, right, and helpful to specifically outline what we think is wrong and terrible. We don't have to just cry out the big general questions. We can become specific in our frustrations. Let's just have a look at verse 2 through 11. In this section, the psalmist is, is going to detail what actually he thinks is wrong in the world. And he He's using poetry. This isn't just an outburst. This is carefully constructed poetry to outline his frustration. He's using skill and time to put it all together so that he can bring the fullness of his pain to God. And so we have a model that we can actually write out in detail our true frustrations. So he says... Well, in arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Verse 3, for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. Verse 4, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Verse 5, look at how confused. His ways prosper at all times. Here's these wicked, arrogant people who say there is no God, and yet they are killing it. They are prospering. They are living a blessed life. And this is a frustration. Verse 6, he says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. 
Verse 7, look, his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue a mischief and iniquity. This isn't gossip or slander. This is bringing to the Lord the reality of a situation. There's wicked, vile people all around him doing wrong and being blessed. He sits in ambush, verse 8. He watches for the helpless. He's like a lion, verse 9, lurking, ready to pounce on the poor. The result, the helpless are crushed and sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face and he will never see it. And the psalmist is like, what, what is going on? Look at these wicked people and you stand far off and you hide yourself in times of trouble. What is going on? The questions are general. The frustrations are more specific. And this shows us that we're allowed to and even encouraged to outline our specific problems to God in detail. Still in faith, not in sin, but to bring it to Him. Because remember, He already knows what you're feeling. He already knows that the problems you have. He already knows the judgments you're making around and he sees what you're seeing. So all we're doing in these prayers is faithfully bringing them to God and laying them at his feet. What would that look like for you? For me, one way I do it is I have a little pencil and a little diary and each morning I, I try and write something. And when things are piling up or when things are feeling terrible, I, I write more. And I bring, and I'm trying to bring more honestly and more humbly and more openly my complaints to God. Why is this happening like this? And you can outline it in detail. Just yesterday, one of, someone I know dearly called me to cry with me because they just had another miscarriage. They'd found out, they knew they were pregnant eight weeks. Bleeding started, so they thought they'd lost the baby. They had an ultrasound. There was a heartbeat. So then they went out for lunch thinking, well, if there's a heartbeat, we're 95% chance. And then by that evening, had passed the, the pregnancy, the little baby. And they had, to, yeah, they had to get rid of their baby. And what do, you, what do you pray with someone like that? Wow, God works all things for good. No, what the Psalms teach us, yes, that's true, but what the Psalms teach us is that we can bring our frustrations. So I knelt down and I prayed. I just said, Lord, why did you do that? Why, why give them the pregnancy, take away their hope, give them back their hope, and then take it away again in 24 hours? Like, why, Lord? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem good. It's so painful. It's so hard. And you just lay it out to the Lord. And it's good. The psalmist teaches it's okay to do that. You might think this just might make me feel worse, and it might for a time. That's true. But at least you'll be real. Mark Rogoyup in his book says, I found that my pain made me myopic. That means like totally focused on myself. Pain tended to narrow my focus on the sorrow that took over my life. But as I wrote out my complaints and talked to the Lord about them, it was surprising how they lost their hold on me. Sometimes I even found myself laughing at the silly things I listed. 
Complaint helped me see myself and my situation more clearly. Since then, I've made it a regular practice to talk to God more quickly about my questions and frustrations. Over time, I began to love lament, even complaint, because of where it led me. It seems counterintuitive, even for us as Christians, but to complain to God actually makes us better. So perhaps for you, you need to start dealing with the difficulties and the negative feelings and emotions rather than suppressing them and bring them to God. But remember, complaint is not the end goal. Complaint is just step two of four in the path of lament as we walk from sorrow into joy amidst pain. We complain because it actually enables us to do step three better which is to ask boldly, and it frees us to do step four, choose to trust. So don't stop a complaint. That's not healthy. The psalmist, there's only one psalm, Psalm 88, which never has the turn in all of the Bible. It's the only complaint that just doesn't go back to, but I trust you. Death is my companion and it ends in darkness. But the example, the overwhelming example is complaint is a part of the journey, but not the end point. So we don't want to stay there. But we are to bring our questions, point one. We are to bring our frustrations, point two. But how do we do it rightly? Because we want to make sure we we do this in a way which is good and right and holy. So that leads to point number three, bring them rightly. Bring your questions, bring your frustrations Bring them rightly. Do you remember what Job's wife said to him? Curse God and die. In the face of all his suffering, in the face of overwhelming loss, economic, relational, physical, he cries out and her counsel was, yeah, make a complaint. Curse God and die. That's not how to complain rightly. Instead, I'm going to give three application points for how to do this rightly. Firstly, bring your complaints humbly. Bring your complaints humbly. Mark Roygip says, come with your pain, not your pride. Come with your pain, not your pride. We, we do, we must remember that we do stand before a holy God, righteous, perfect, inscrutable are his ways, sovereign are his decrees. He has declared himself forever good, righteous, true, and just. There is no evil in him. And we are his creatures, made in his image, but we are still creature. We still do not understand all of his plans. We will never get to the bottom of the counsel of his will. The book of Job teaches us that toward the end, God never tells Job why he put him through all the suffering. But what he does is he puts on display his magnificence before Job and says, where were you? Where were you when I created everything from the universe down to the smallest particles to the living creatures? Where were you? You don't understand me. Be humble. And so we are to bring our complaints in humility. 
perhaps you're wondering, well, how do, we, how do I do this? Then I think the first step is probably to use the Scriptures to teach you how to complain rightly. The Psalms are Spirit-led Psalms of lament, most of them, you know, one-third to half. And so use a Psalm and work your way through a Psalm and, and take a Psalm and riff off some of the verses and then make it your own prayer. And that's how you can humble yourself before God to bring your complaint humbly, is you humble yourself under His Word and say, okay, this all Scripture is God-breathed and is use, useful for training, correction, rebuking, um, and training in righteousness, correction as well. And so I'm going to let God's Word teach me how to do this. I'm not just going to trust my instinct. Okay, Lord, teach me how to complain. Verse 1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Start there and then start praying out from there. Okay, it feels like in this situation, Lord, you've hidden yourself. It feels like you are far away. There's a whole number of Psalms. I'm going to read a bunch to you just to give you some other examples of what it looked like to ask why questions. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? You can pray that. Psalm 44, 23. Awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Psalm 88, 14, that dark psalm. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? These are why questions given in Scripture that you can use to pray. There's also how questions offered in the Psalms. Psalm 13, how long, oh Lord, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel? How long shall my enemy be exalted? Psalm 35, 17, how long, oh Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. Psalm 94, 3, oh Lord, how long shall the wicked how long shall the wicked exult? Use the Psalms to teach you. And remember that as you bring your complaints, the, the, the complaint Psalms are not just venting. They're venting with a purpose that actually asking God to intervene. We bring our complaint before God in a sense of a lawyer brings their case before a judge. It's not a dump truck where it's like, Bleh, but we're bringing our complaint so that God will hear our case and then act, because we're his children. And so we bring these questions in, in a way of saying, why and how, and are you going to act? Would you please act? That's why we do it. So firstly, how do we complain rightly? Well, we bring our complaints humbly. Secondly, how do we complain rightly? We bring them honestly. Now, don't feel like you have to overly sanitize your prayers or clean them up before bringing them to God. You can be honest with your struggles. You may want to pray something like this. Holy Spirit, please guide me as I pray. Keep my tongue from evil. I want to pour out my true soul before you, but I don't want to sin in my prayer. Help me. And then pray and trust the Holy Spirit to help you. Perhaps you can say something like Sarah did. God, I know you are not 
mean or distant or cruel, but it feels like you are today. So you're not accusing God, but you're being honest. I feel as though you don't care. I know it's not true, but it feels like this. Faking it won't help you to lament. Yes, the wound may not be as raw over time, but just because a death may have happened 15 years ago or a painful circumstance is long in the past doesn't mean you can't still bring it up. If it hurts, if it weighs on you, don't smother it, shout it out to the Lord. In his wonderful book, Lament for a Son, Nicholas Walterstorff, an American philosopher, says this after his son died tragically in a camping accident. Rather often I'm asked whether the grief remains as intense as when I wrote. The answer is no. The wound is no longer raw, but it has not disappeared. This is as it should be. If he was worth loving, he's worth grieving over. Grief is existential testimony to the worth of the one loved. That worth abides, so I own my grief. I do not try to put it behind me, to get over it, to forget it. Every lament is a love song. So it doesn't have to be right now a circumstance that's happening that you lament over. You can lament over things that have happened long ago, things that you may have dealt with. Perhaps it's the anniversary of someone's loss or the anniversary of an event that happened to you. You can take aside that time and prepare yourself to even lament on that day. Prepare yourself to lament. Take up little symbols or uh, tokens that will help you to remember and then be honest with God about it. We don't have to move on. We move into God and we bring what we really feel. The value and worth of the thing you are lamenting on requires your true feeling and heart and so bring it to God. And the good news is in our honesty, we can bring it to a kind God, a kind Savior who actually will sympathize with us in our brokenness. Hebrews chapter 14, verse 15 to 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How wonderful is that promise? He sympathizes and will sympathize with you as you honestly and humbly and raw, in a raw way, lament. So how do we complain rightly? We, we bring our complaints humbly. We bring our complaints honestly. And finally, we bring them hopefully. Verse 12 to 15 of the psalm, have a look at that again. This is when he turns to now make requests, which we'll look at next week. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account 
until you find none. We can pray in hope knowing that our God hears. We can cry out knowing that he does actually see. He sees all the evil, mischief and sin in this world and he takes it into his own hands. He doesn't just let it go. He takes evil into his hand. And the most glorious and terrible way in which he did this was 2,000 years ago upon that cross when God took evil, our evil, into his hands and dealt with it. Instead of God breaking our arm for our sins that we deserve before a holy God, he broke his very own son for you. He poured out the justice that we would cry for that we actually deserve. And he poured out justice on his very own son. And so Jesus cries on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries a cry of complaint and lament so that we never have to make that cry. We'll never be forsaken. And so you can lament in hope knowing that your sin can never separate you. Nothing that you ever do or nothing that is done to you can separate you from the love of God because God took evil into his own hands and poured his wrath on the Son. And so no matter what is happening, you can know for sure that because he sent his son, he loves you. Because he sent his son, he will hear you. Because he sent his son, he cares for you. Because he sent his son, he is for you, no matter what. And so in the darkness, in the complaint, even when you don't understand, you can look back to that cross and on it you will see that he will hear your cry because he didn't listen to his son and he forsook him so that you would be accepted and as a result Paul can say something like this blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. You can complain in hope knowing that God through Christ by the Spirit will comfort you in your affliction. The great Baptist preacher Charles Haddon Spurden said, God is too good to be unkind and he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Well, friends, how do we complain rightly? Well, we bring them humbly. We bring them honestly. We bring them hopefully. Mark Vroegep says, Lament is the language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty but live in a world with tragedy. So when you sit in the car parks of life facing pain and suffering, when it feels like the Lord is cruel and mean and distant and hiding himself, 
You can turn and should turn to God in prayer and keep turning to God and bring your questions, bring your frustrations, bring them rightly. Bring it all to Jesus and he will comfort you in your affliction. Let us close in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you that you are the God of all mercy and comfort. I pray and ask that you would help us, O Lord, to know how to complain rightly and honestly and humbly and hopefully. Help us, Lord, to not smother our true feelings or not get stuck in arrogant self-pity, myopic in our pain, but instead may we use this language to help us truly come to you and experience your mercy and comfort. For any here, Lord, who are going through uh, sitting under the darkness of your hand, when your providence and will seems bitter and cruel, Lord, would you comfort them even now? Would they know that you actually do love them because you sent your son in their place? For their sin, that they will never experience your justice as they ought. No matter how they suffer or been sinned against, may they see the suffering of their dear Savior, Jesus Christ, and may it bring them comfort. Lord, teach us how to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.